this is the Quebec tribe, this is the Alberta tribe, it was, no, this is the Freedom tribe, and we're allowed mm -hmm. to have as many individual opinions as we want, and we're, we're able to talk with each other like mature adults without getting upset. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 68 of the Wake Up Podcast. Holy fuck, I'm tired. Miami was a shit show um, in good ways and bad. Um, my guess is that's the last large-scale uh, conference I'm going to go to, but let's see. Let's see what happens in the coming years, but fucking hell, it was exhausting. Uh, on this pod, on this episode, I've got BJ Dicta, Benjamin Dicta, who was the, um, the spokesperson and co-organizer of the Freedom Convoy, uh, also known as the truckers in Canada, Hong Kong. I'm sure you're aware of him. Um, or if you're not aware of him, you're aware of at least the movement. Uh, we went on a pretty pretty wide-ranging conversation. We talked about Marxism as a social poison, um, his early history, politics, and how much of a slimy business that is. Um, we talked about a topic that I think not many people discuss, which is the idea between who is the they and just the emergent metastasization of really bad ideas being the basis of all of the malevolence and stupidity happening in the world today. Uh, so we spoke about conspiracies. We, we dug into a little bit about like the real inside story of uh, the truckers and what he's working on now, which is trying to really uh, turn the, the Freedom Convoy into something more consistent as a Bitcoin-based crowdfunding thing. Um, so they're, they're working, I think it's going to be honkingforfreedom.com or honkingforfreedom.org. Um, he wasn't sure what the um, what the which version it was going to be. So, hope you enjoy this conversation. Quick couple notes before we get started. Number one is the Uncommunist Manifesto. I think by the time you listen to this, the Kickstarter will be over. So, if you did support us, thank you very much. Um, it may or may not be on Amazon.com as you're listening to this. If it is. Please support us there, buy a copy, and most importantly, leave a review. Um, apparently, the way to hack Amazon is to get a bunch of reviews in the beginning. Um, if you get it early on, you end up on a bestseller list. So I think we have the opportunity to do that. So if you can give us a hand, that would be absolutely fucking fantastic. Um, if it's not on Amazon yet, jump on just uncommunist.com, chuck in an email there, and you'll know when we launch it there so that you can assist us and really get it on a bestseller list because the more people that buy the fucking thing, the, the better. Um, that's actually really the only announcement. Oh, other than that, I'll be at most likely Market Disruptors Live, uh, Mark Moss's conference in Dallas. Um, please join us there. I think the website there is marketdisruptorslive.com. Um, there'll be myself, George Gammon, Mark Moss, uh, the usual suspects um, and some others I think like Harry Dent etc that you know you normally don't get access to so I'd love to see you there um, you can come connect with us there'll be some dinners there'll be some stuff going on there'll be a book signing there as well um, if you want to get your hands on physical copies so anyway time to get onto the episode thank you once again for all the support um, for everyone that helped us and everyone that didn't help us <laughs> uh, reach the Kickstarter goal um, everyone that I saw at the conference thank you very much I hope to meet you all in person at one day, uh, one day, and um, and yeah, I'll see you on the next episode.
So ladies and gentlemen, welcome episode 60, I think eight of the Wake Up Podcast. And I've got Benjamin Dichter, uh, also known as BJ Dichter. Uh, he's the spokesperson and co-organizer of Freedom Convoy in Canada and probably a whole host of other things which we're going to get into on the show. BJ, thank you for... Um, do you prefer Benjamin or BJ? What would you prefer me to call It doesn't him? really matter. I mean, if friends okay. call me Benjamin and other stuff. Uh, <laughs> and other stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, what? so uh, like whatever asshole. you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, believe me. I've heard a lot of things, right? Oh, and the best one is... The people who are attacking me, if can I swear here, by the way? Yeah, go for it. Oh, the best part is I was getting all these trolls uh, calling me a uh, grifting piece of shit. You know, these are people okay, who are supposed to be on side of the convoy. So I went to Columbia to visit my friends just for the conference. And I showed my friends just before I posted the message on Twitter. They didn't understand it. They thought it was the funny thing, funniest thing ever. So right now in Columbia... There's a whole bunch of people now referring to everybody as grifting pieces of shit for joke, for jokes. It was great. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. What do you mean? Um, like, what, what, hold on. Why would so? Wait, was the joke people calling you a grifting piece of shit, or was someone calling you a grifting piece of shit, which you then showed to someone, and they yeah. thought that was a nice thing to say? No, they thought it was funny. They thought it was uh, 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 okay. like, what, is, what is wrong with these people? I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. So that just became the joke of the week. Do you, you know what that reminds me of? Wrong. Do you remember, um, oh, what's the movie with Eddie Murphy? Com Coming to America, where he, you know, he's in the cab and he's like, hey, fuck you, buddy. And he's like, hey, he's <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It was, it was brilliant. Classic. Well, dude, look, let's, um, I mean, you and I briefly connected at the, um, at the conference. And I think we've sort of been on one spaces together, but like, you know, hand on heart, I don't know enough about you and maybe what we can do is we can start a little bit about you know you your early history and sort of what brought you to being kind of the the, the front face or the spokesperson or the co-organizer of the um of the freedom convoy i think that context will be really useful uh for people to hear and, and for myself as we navigate this conversation okay um well i guess i'll start from now move back a little bit uh cool. i got involved in the freedom convoy because i was friends with tamara i've been friends with her for several years and she called me shortly after they started the gofundme and the whole idea of having another convoy because they had one uh, a couple of years ago and she reached out to me when the gofundme after a day or so uh day maybe two days whatever it was took off and they had a few hundred thousand dollars in there and she called me and she said you know uh, I, I love these guys. I love these truckers, but she said to me, I know you're media trained and you've, you've had some corporate experience in the past. Mm -hmm. These guys haven't. And I'm just worried about them getting baited and saying the wrong thing. And mm -hmm. she said, do you mind being the spokesperson and helping with press releases and, you know, being the voice and the face of the freedom convoy. And I said, yeah, sure. For you, anything. I mean, we've been friends long enough. I knew her very well and I believed in the cause. You know, it was a long, longer conversation than two minutes, but obviously, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so that's how I got involved at that point. And then I said to her, by the way, uh, Tamara, you may not know this, but I actually own a truck. And she said, get out. What do you mean? What kind of truck do you own? And I said, I got a Volvo VNL 670. And she said, shut up. When did you get that? And I said, well, a few years ago, my brother and I are thinking about, you know, when he retires, maybe we're going to do something in trucking. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur, always trying new things. And then COVID hit and he convinced me to 
uh, by the truck and start doing um, uh, over the road, meaning, you know, crossing border into the United States. Mm-hmm. So we could just get away from the, the craziness of our lockdowns. And that's yeah. really what got me uh, driving kind of, you know, long distance sort of thing. Interesting. Uh, so, so quick question there. Um, you mentioned there was another convoy three years ago. What's, what's that about? There was a convoy in 2020. Um, there, there's been a couple of them. But okay. I said to her in that first conversation, I said, you know, Tamara, it's great. You're going to do this. I'll come on board on one condition. Don't do what you guys did last time, which last time they got to Ottawa and the politicians came out, in this case, the conservative politicians came out and said, yeah, yeah, we hear you. We're on board. We support you. Uh, but it's time to leave, go home. Uh, we've heard your voice. And they were resistant. And then apparently, apparently what the conservative party, again, this is not politics. I think they all suck. Um, one of the, uh, the leader at that time and another uh, member of parliament who's not very popular in conservative circles, they basically divide and conquer. They went into the group, had a meeting with them, said, yeah, we want to support you, but we can't support those people because those people are uh whatever bigoted racist misogynist they'll be perceived that way so uh divide up we'll give you money for this but we won't give you money for so anybody started you know at each other's throat Mm -hmm. and the movement died at least that's what i understand uh how it was explained to me if i have something inaccurate i apologize it's just how what i was told so i said to her don't do what you did last year it's we're going there until the government uh comes to the table to talk to remove mandates and she mm-hmm. said, no, absolutely. We learned our last lesson last time. We're going there till we get results. And I said, okay, great. I'm on board for sure. Interesting, man. Politics is such a fucking disgusting, disgusting thing, man. It, it's horrible. It's I, horrible, I, I, man. Yeah. It's horrible. You don't ever, honestly, I got involved because I, I saw all of this going on. You talk about neo-Marxism and stuff. Uh, my old business, here's a little bit of my background, was on a university campus. So I had a, a printing and graphics shop. We did like interior design models and architecture drawings and all that sort of stuff. And we, I saw over the years I was there, it was almost 10 years, I saw the, the, the degree of the rhetoric amongst the student body change over time to becoming more and more extreme and more collectivist. Mm-hmm. And it was towards the end that I decided I, I got to get away from this it's getting, it's getting, it was getting insane. And some other things happened as well that my business was targeted because of that. And I just decided to get away. So that's, I decided once I got out of that, that, Hey, you know, maybe I should get involved in politics somehow. Maybe I can be a voice and help change things within. And I did a little bit. Uh, We had a, um, we did a grassroots movement. So I learned a lot there, but that's, what's really uh, got me in. And I got to tell you, man, for the past couple of few years, I've been trying to get away from it. It's horrible. Just the worst of the worst people are in politics. Overall, there's a few good people, obviously, but how how they how they manage the degree of uh, duplicitousness, backstabbing, like people you would be <laughs> great friends with that come over and drink with you, will then stab you in the back. And well, that's just politics. That's the excuse always. Oh, that's just politics. I mean, no, no, that's just psychopaths is what that is and uh i've been trying to get away from it ever since to be entirely honest i really haven't been involved much since man the it's funny you use the word psychopaths i think i mean i i'm I'm taking a break from twitter and all this fucking shit for a little while but um yeah i just noticed that the last latest craze by the media is you know saying that bitcoiners uh uh you know the study shows that uh 
Bitcoiners are all psychopaths or something like that because of the. <laughs> I, I, have you seen it? No, but I'll, like I'll tell a, you a little tip on, on political messaging. One of the first things I was taught when running a campaign from my, my first campaign manager, because I ran a couple of campaigns, was I can't remember what we were trying to, to, to discuss in a debate. It was some sort of issue. And I said, it was very esoteric. So I said, I don't know how I can communicate that in such a quick statement. He said, don't worry about it. Just say study say. So when you hear the term studies say, they know there's nothing to back it up or totally, yeah. they're not sure where it is and they haven't done the digging themselves. That's just the, that's the veil that they protect themselves and say, oh, according to studies, which studies, they don't say that. And they know yeah. most people will skip over that. Totally. And, and usually the study is just a fucking bunch of pseudoscientific fluff where they, you know, pick 10 fucking people as a control group, ask them their opinion. And it's like, oh yeah, this study shows it's fucking moronic, but it's just, I always find it funny how they, um, everything that they are, they project onto others, you know, like, so the, the freedom convoy is apparently, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the freedom convoy is a neo-Nazi movement. <laughs> like, wait a minute. You are the guys playing fucking Nazi here and we're the Nazis. So it's like Bitcoin is a psychopath from the literal psychopaths. Um, it's just wild, man. The level of gaslighting, the level of like, I mean, typical, you know, 1984, uh, George Orwell doublespeak, right? It's just, you know, you, you gaslight people and you change the you transform, literally invert the meaning of words. Freedom is slavery, you know, ignorance is truth. And like, it's fucking wild to see it just happening. In plain well, I'll give, an I'll give you an example. Like, um, you know, when the prime minister, and this is now in the prime minister's office, that's how far this cancer has spread. Uh, he's calling us white supremacists and extremists and whatever. Now, I'm not into identity politics. Unfortunately, the left always pushes you into using your identity cards, mm -hmm. which like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Canadian first, okay? Mm -hmm. But I happen, to be, I happen to be Jewish. So I'm, the, I'm Jewish. Um, Tamara is a Métis indigenous woman. We're the white supremacists, but prime minister of blackface he is, uh, he's the one who's virtuous. Like that's the upside down clown world. And anyone can see he's the most racist person to ever hold office in, Can in Canadian history. It's quite disgusting. Yeah, of course. It's, it's all a projection. And, and, and that's something that I've, uh, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's not evident to anyone after the last two and a half years, like, you know, I, I don't know what else you need <laughs> to like wake you up, but it's, you know, all of these things are projections of their own inadequacies and of their own feelings. And they just project it out onto anyone else and they gaslight you into believing you're fucking crazy, um, yeah. you know, until, until you go and, you know, say or do something stupid. So let, let, let's just tie this back to, you know, again, just a little bit more context. So, so this is how you got it involved in the freedom convoy but mm -hmm. what was sort of your your earlier roots then like what predisposed you to a being on the side of fucking sanity um and truth like yeah. what, what do you think were those early ingredients and um and what what kind of gave you the capacity to you know have the skill set necessary to be a spokesperson co-organizer or something um oh wow that is that is a deep question man um, I mean, I've seen, again, through the university, while I had my business there, I saw that, uh, that, that slide towards 
you know, extreme. It really started around 2013, 2014. You saw it really come up on the surface. And um, I don't know, just kind of took an interest in what is the underlying philosophy between all these people who, in, from my perspective, were unable to think. Uh, everything became uh, victimization at all costs, no matter what. And I remember I was talking to somebody, she was, you know, very uh, progressive, if you will. And she had, you know, a bunch of ideas on gender theory and whatever. And I, I, try, to, I try to reach out to all sides. I don't want to kind of vilify them. I want to try to talk to them and maybe sort of reach them in some sense. And she was telling me, you know, all these weird, they're just not objective. It's just all based on this, this postmodernist neo-Marxist nonsense. And then I was watching a, a Steven Crowder, a few, a video a few years later, one of his changed my mind things. And I think it was the one, one of the ones where he said, there are two genders changed my mind. And again, this is not, not talking about gender, it's talking about general things. And uh, the, the words that were coming out of, uh, there were girls that were, he was interviewing, that were uh, the rebuttals to his claims were word for word identical. And this was in what, California, I think? Word for word identical to what I was hearing on campus. It was like a script, even down to the same phraseology, everything. Clearly, there is something going on that there, this is beyond just one individual person having some very strange ideas that no, this is a tactic. And it's coming from somewhere and I didn't know where. And it took me a while to learn that this was an underlying philosophy that is being weaponized in Western societies. And this is one, this was just before Jordan Peterson became um, infamous, infamous when he had that, that, um, that mob attacking him on U of T's campus. And that's when I, I met him shortly after that, maybe three or four weeks after that with a group of people for dinner. And I could see what was happening uh, all over. And that's what really emboldened me more uh, to at least be aware of it and to try to communicate to people. And that ultimately led to me reaching out to, like I do podcasts on the side as a hobby, like many mm -hmm, people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we have, I guess you'd call it a little startup we're working on. And that led me to reach out to um, Stephen Hicks mm -hmm. uh, to ask him. Stephen Hicks is the professor that wrote Explaining Postmodernism that Jordan Peterson often references. He's really the authority on the subject and read his books followed all his stuff and reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I have this podcast I'm already doing with Tom Quiggin, who's an intelligence guy. He's like the real life Jack Ryan, mm -hmm. said, I'd like to do something in the philosophy space and maybe we can build a podcast around your body of work. And he was receptive to it. And interesting, mm -hmm. when I started doing the first podcast, the Quiggin Report, with this intelligence analyst, he too uh, was dealing with this subjectivist worldview in the intelligence world. So him and his collator, I met them, they explained to me a lot what's going on in government, in intelligence, that's changing how things are operating. They're quite alarmed because things were no longer objectively based. So 
it just there are so many things happening around society and I think you've seen it as well that it's just it's coming from all directions and it all ends up the same core thing it's not the world is no longer about or at least one you know philosophical underpinning does not believe in objective truth mm-hmm. it believes in subjectivism and just about coddling mm-hmm. feelings and weaponizing victimization Totally, you know, complete moral relativism. I mean, you know, Ayn, Ayn Rand warned us all of this, you know, seventy years ago. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've read Atlas Shrugged, but like, you know, where when I look around at the world, it's like a, a real life reenactment of the goddamn book. Like, I feel like I'm in the middle of the book when I see the the level of stupidity, and and it's always interesting. And I and I probably ask you this question: It's a lot of people point to like, you know are they you know and you know it's it's always like this um you know this ephemeral they who are like you know lizards behind a red curtain or some shit that you know <laughs> that kind of you know yeah. make these messages go out but you know i i kind of argue that uh the world and you know the economy and society is a complex system and you know what you have is these seemingly innocuous ideas that end up metastasizing into something you know quite poisonous and i mean you know you you talked about the uh uh moral relativism subjectivism and all that sort of stuff which you can you can kind of you know walk back through to you know your philosophies of the you know the early deconstructionists and stuff like that who had some accurate points you know there is much of life is genuinely subjective but the problem is when you you know you take that ideology and you just blanket assume that everything is subjective and you throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I think like for me, a, a modern, uh, a modern um, example of this kind of stupidity that can go awry is actually Sam Harris. Like, I can't stand that guy. I've never been able to stand that guy. He fucking rubs me the wrong way so badly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I recently, you know, this person was like, no, 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 you're just misunderstanding him. You know, here's a bunch of videos. So I went and watched a bunch of videos from him. And I like, I kind of like felt like I got a fucking slow motion aneurysm listening to this guy. Like, because his his whole point, you know, like revolves around this idea of like, you know, determinism, you know, free will's a lie, you know, all we are is a, a product of our fucking environment, which is basically exactly what Marx was talking about in the 1800s. It's no different. Um, and yes you know, we are influenced by the environment, but to sort of throw free will and all that sort of stuff out the window, you know, just to, um, I don't know, create a supposedly rational uh, explanation for the way things happen, I mean, is how we end up getting ourselves into these, uh, you know, academic, I don't even know what to call them, like it's, you know, there's a reason why Marxism is so prevalent in academia is that, you know, people are trying to somehow, you know, outsmart reality, you know, through these abstractions mm-hmm. and this, this bullshit. And they, they, they're too smart for their own good in a sense. Um, yeah. And in the end, they end up stupid. So, so anyway, it's a long way of saying that, you know, it's a, it's a long way of putting my point of view forward, but curious to hear your thoughts around like the, the lizards behind a red curtain versus the um you know versus the organic metastasization of really bad ideas yeah it's uh it's interesting so these few years that i worked with uh not only just this one intelligence 
person, but uh, I've met a few others. And it's interesting how much of like modern philosophy and economics uh, actually interjects with, with intelligence when they're doing you know, data collection, evidence collection, all that sort of stuff. And uh, there's a phrase that, that they told me that I love, which is some things are so simple, even an academic can understand them. Yeah. Um, and that's what I see with, with Sam Harris. Like for example, I used to listen to him more. I have a very good friend, uh, Sia, shout out to you Sia if you're listening. He was one of my friends who was in jail during the Green Revolution in Iran trying to fight for freedom and equality and all that sort of stuff and a modernization of Iran. And he was in jail for, I don't know how many years, uh, essentially tortured by the government. And, but he's a very bright thinker, very crisp, very clear thinker. And he's, he's very direct. And he says to me, Sam Harris's career died with Christopher Hitchens. And I, well, that's, that's an interesting way uh, to describe him. He said, yeah, he's gone off the rails since Hitchens is no longer around. Um, I used to listen to him and then the, uh, then 2016 came along and Trump was elected. And again, this is not, not getting political. Yes or no, you mm -hmm, like, him, no, mm -hmm. but uh, he developed this, what I would call a religious obsession over Trump. Totally. And nobody's perfect. Everybody has good things and bad things, mm -hmm, no matter mm -hmm. whatever. And I looked at him and I tried to listen to him a few times and it was just a constant religious smear of Trump. And it's like, okay, you don't like Trump. You think he's obnoxious. You think he's like, I, I get that. Give me an argument. You're supposed to be the guy. That's a rational, yeah. rational argument, but yeah. it was nothing. And I just, I had to, I listened to, I don't know how many episodes after uh, Trump was elected. I just, I couldn't anymore mm -hmm. because all it was was subjective baseless it was though it was as though he had never even heard anything trump said or not and again this is not an endorsement for or against trump i'm just saying there was a lack of argumentation and then around that time or leading up to then he was starting with the i don't believe in free will thing and i thought like oh for fuck's sakes don't believe in free will like yeah obviously there are constraints in society because of i don't know physics economics you know, but at the end of the day, I have the choice to make bad decisions. Like mm -hmm. I had the choice to get a motorcycle license and go race it at the track and all sorts of stuff. And maybe that wasn't a rational choice, but I choose, chose to do that. And it's just amazing how people can talk themselves into these corners, but that's not unusual for academic academia. And I think it comes down to, I, I might be wrong. I just, I think it comes down to one basic uh, instinct of humanity. We need to have struggle. We need to have to want things. Like, I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever met anybody who's obnoxiously wealthy, like billionaires. They become obsessed with having the one thing that nobody yeah. has. Like yeah, they have to yeah. have a version of a McLaren that no one has, right? They get obsessed mm -hmm. with it. And I think that's what happens in academia because they no longer have to worry about uh, money for the most part, because they, they earn very, very good salaries or well compensated. They have tenure, so their job is safe. They're never gonna lose their job. And I think they go a little crazy. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, they're looking for some sort of struggle, um, either that or to elevate themselves into an even higher tier. I'm not sure what it is, but I think that's what leads to it. But 
I could be wrong, just my theory. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, so I guess, you know, to, to then add on and, and prod the question a little bit further. So, so do you think that, because I guess these pursuits and, you know, these, this attempt or, you know, subconscious desire to have a struggle, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's more or less innocent, at least at a subconscious level, you know, it may not be as innocent, you know, in a conscious level, you know, in the way it manifests. But would you agree with the idea that, um, you know, the, this this innocent subconscious uh, desire ends up at scale on a macro level, transforming into these really poisonous narratives? like Marxism, like, so, so for oh, me, yeah. for example, I argue that Marxism is merely an academic justification for individual entropy. So in other words, like, it's easier to do nothing than it is to do something. So I'm going to write a fucking dissertation about why someone else should provide for me and why the rich people are there. Um, and I'm here and group identity politics, basically. So Marxism for me is like a a literal and academic justification for being an entitled fucking brat. So, so that's kind of what these academics do. So, you know, the thing is, it's like, it's innocuous in the beginning, but when you actually go and then implement these philosophies or these ideas in real life in practice, that's when they start to metastasize into something that becomes a cancer. Um, And as it spreads, then it actually turns into some, you know, violent political fucking reality. And that's kind of the way I see it. So, so I wonder if you kind of agree with that or whether you think it's like some grand plan by the evil lizards behind the red coat again. <laughs> no, I think you're spot on. Uh, you know, something as well, when you get involved in politics, and I guess that means tangentially um, government, is you learn what a shit show, how disorganized it is, and how everybody is trying to stab everybody else in the back, mm-hmm. like you said in the mm-hmm. beginning. So this idea that, you know, there's a cabal of anybody who's kind of working behind the scenes and working together to subvert things um, in an organized fashion within government. Um, there are people who try to do that, and we'll mm-hmm. talk, talk about that in a second, but it, it just does not occur the way people think it does. So, you know, you see a lot of this with the, uh, the COVID stuff, right? That there are people who have rational concerns about COVID and or the vaccine. Okay, fine. Uh, and by the way, I'm vaccinated. So let's not go down the anti-vax uh, route, whoever wants to accuse me of that. But then there's uh, another group of people, like I'm listening to some people the other day uh, and they're yeah, did you hear that the vaccine has snake venom? And yeah, it comes from cobras and whatever. And like, it's just like, oh my God, oh my God, why? And I know the reason why. The reason why from uh, an intelligence perspective, against I'm not an intelligence guy, but I've had these guys teach me how their world works. And it's fascinating. It's really interesting. Um, what they've, what they, they, have, they understand about people is in a society there's certain indicators and warnings, as Tom and, and Rick have been explaining to me, there's certain indicators and warnings that they look at to see if a, health, if a society is healthy. Just overall things. One of the things, this is why you hear this all the time, is anti-Semitism. They see that as an indicator and warning that a society is not healthy for whatever reason. That, and it's usually another cause, but 
people don't, um, they often don't understand the complexities of the government and the society they live in. They don't understand their monetary policy, right? We know that. And because they don't understand the complexities, uh, people naturally will look for an easy solution and a one person to point to, to blame, to give a simple solution. So if we just fix that, everything will be fine, right? And I think that's where this all comes from. The different, um, you know, ideas of different cabals and different groups who are pulling the strings. No, now that doesn't mean there aren't um, political uh, groups and entities that are trying to build coalitions within governments and in societies. Like we see a lot of that from the Chinese Communist Party who fund local candidates and whatever, but it's a local candidate and a few candidates and now they're building NGOs and funneling money into NGOs. Um, and that kind of, that, that's part of what's pulling us in the direction of uh, neo-Marxism in our society. But the, the yeah. government itself as an entity is not wholly controlled, controlled by a few people. Like everybody, you know, there's this, um, and they call the Red-Green Alliance. The Red-Green Alliance are, you know, the, the, the communists and Islamist extremists, very important, not Muslims, not Muslims, we're talking Islamist extremists. And this is how um, uh, Iran fell. This is how the Ayatollah got in because the communists uh, of which 30,000 of them helped overthrow the government. And then once the government was mm -hmm. overthrown, the Ayatollah uh, in the first week uh, assassinated or murdered 30,000 of them. So the Red-Green Alliance is often, which is kind of the extremists of the leftist political spectrum, is often, they're not working together. They're working off one another. They have similar goals. They hate each other, but they will- The enemy of your enemy is my friend. advancement of one other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's about as far as it gets. It's not like, you see what happened, like these, par these political parties and MPPs and Republican, well, not Republican, representatives in the house, they're always in damage control because there's so much going on and they always have to respond to something and it's same for the people within government who often complain they don't have enough resources. So that is not an environment that really is, is, is good fertile ground for conspiracy theories. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. There's two things I want to touch on there. Number, number one is, uh, as you were saying, like people's desire to, to have a simple answer for you know, complex problems. Mm -hmm. It actually reminds me a little bit of, uh, of the... The Marxist, the Marxist attempt to basically um, suggest that the world will be fixed so long as you just remove people's privation. Right. It's like it's, right. it's, it's such a simple, mindless attempt to reduce complexity into like a simple linear explanation. It's like it, it, it's it again, it reminds me of like how much of a scam things like epidemiology are it's like okay all humans are just numbers we plug them into a spreadsheet and voila we know how a virus is going to spread no you fucking don't it's completely wrong like it's all pseudoscience so it's like th th this this incessant need to oversimplify everything and fit reality into it like a, a simple equation or a model i get the sense is where a lot of the root of all problems is is that people just you know, they don't understand that there is much more that goes into things. And it's just funny to, to, 
see the genuine retarded conspiracy theorists uh, <laughs> be very similar to the people they purport to hate, which are the Marxists and everything, when they're both seeking a simple explanation to a complex problem. And, and that's it, sort of how they want to frame everything. Yeah, I think would also, you know, I've been dealing with on, on sort of the convoy end of things, there's um, a group of, I call them my biggest fans, my trolls, <laughs> and um, they don't like me for, unfortunately, from uh, reasons due to ethnicity. And again, I'm not, you know, an identitarian and whatever else. And they don't realize, like, these are the people that are very, um, how, do you, how do you say this with sensitivity? Like, I understand the concerns about what we're seeing in society that any racial group is being uh, separated and distinguished from anybody else. We shouldn't be. We're just individuals and irrespective of these irrelevant traits, as far as I'm concerned. But they, they perceive themselves as being right-wing, but they're not. They're left-wing mm. because they, mm. they have the exact same underlying philosophy mm -hmm. as the identitarians on the left with one difference. They have an in-group preference and the extremist progressives have an out-group preference, but it's mm -hmm. the same philosophy. You're not right-wing, you're, if anything, uh, far left or communist. Mm -hmm. They want mm -hmm. you know, socialized medicine. They want the system. They want the government system to have a quota based on white identitarians so there's enough white people in our society. Well, that's not right-wing. That's social constructionism. Mm -hmm. That's left wing. Mm -hmm. So these people mm -hmm. go around thinking, oh, I'm right wing. And then, you know, the lefties say they're right wing. No, they're left. They're just like you. And it's amazing that people can't see that uh, in, in broad daylight. But I, to me, it's very clear. Yeah, I mean, did, did I, did myself or Mark Moss manage to give you a copy of the book that we just wrote, The Uncommunist Manifesto? I went to see Mark at the booth at the end of the day. He looked exhausted. The yeah. poor guy looked so tired. I yeah. was like, hey, Mark. I'm like, hey, I'm like, okay, I've been there too. I know he's I'm like, okay, he's tired. And I just wanted to say thanks for everything, you've, you know, your support. And he was like, thanks, man, whatever. Um, and they were out of books. They oh, got out shit. of it. So okay. I was actually went on it. I wanted to get a copy of it before we spoke because mm -hmm. I wanted to read it or uh, get a digital copy of it and I couldn't, but uh, I'll, I'll send you a digital copy after this call. Um, okay, cool. So you've got it. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, I mean, me and Mark and I sat down to try and, you know, dissect this and, and what we specifically did was, I mean, I I've heard, you know, broad critiques of like Marxism and stuff like that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, from, from just listening to YouTube videos, this and that, and, and primarily from, you know, the Petersons of the world. Now, I'd not come across Stephen Hicks' work uh, specifically, but now I know where I recognize the name from, um, mm. which is, you know, Jordan mentioning him in, in lectures and things like that. But what, what Mark and I tried to do with this book is like, we specifically didn't go out and read other people's critiques, because what we wanted to do is we just wanted to present our own kind of like organic okay. instinctual critique of it. Um, as opposed to building on other other arguments, because I mean, I'm sure people like Stephen Hicks, etc. have like really dismantled that stupidity already. Um, but, you know, we kind of wanted to do it as our own little manifesto, less as a dismantling of their work, but more as a manifesto to uh, basically place the individual at the center and kind of move the axis away from an arbitrary struggle between two classes mm -hmm. and really just identify the struggle as hey, the thing that 
all individuals face on a day-to-day basis is the struggle between cooperating or coercing other people into doing what you want to do. Like that's actually the, the core of the struggle. And if we can kind of come to that, then we realize that, you know, one path is the path of the autonomous individual and the other part, path is the path of the coercive collective. And, mm. and really that's what we need to be choosing um, on a day-to-day basis to be sovereign or to be uh, part of, you know, to, to be like some homogenous blob in a group. Um, okay. And, and, Anyway, so that was one thing that we did. And we did another piece, and, and this is relevant to what you were just saying earlier about these leftist thinking people are right, but they're all the same shit, is that we, we drew a diagram and we said, look, the Marxists and you know the, the, the political aficionados want you to think that there's a left and a right spectrum. And really, the, the political spectrum, how do I phrase this? Like what we proposed was to, to push the political spectrum on its side and basically be like a T on its side where politics is on this side and it has its spectrum left and right. And you can put whatever the fuck you want on there, like communism at the far left and at the far right fascism and everything else in between. But really on the other side is capitalism. And the, what we defined as capitalism is that it's not a political system. Capitalism is merely the organic process of transforming chaos into order. And we have been doing that since the day we first picked up a fucking rock and threw it at an animal and realized that there was uh, more efficiency in acquiring food by mm-hmm. using the projectile force of, um, you know, a rock to, to take your food down. So yeah. capitalism is just merely a process. It, it's not a political modality. It is like taking finite time, energy and resources and transforming it into something of greater order or greater value. And we've been doing that since the dawn of time. So capitalism like always exists. And we make a really good argument in there that like, hey, whether it's communism or conservatism or democracy or fucking whatever flavor of politics you want, capitalism actually exists in all of them. It just comes under a different name. Like in most of these political systems, capitalism is just the black market. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. what it is because it's just a free market. It's the ability for people to trade amongst one each other. Uh, I'm sorry, between one another. And really the only the only question is how much of the political machinations we place around this organic process, um, you know, the question is how much of that suffocates the natural progressive motion of, and I use progressive in the, you know, classical sense of the word, not mm-hmm. in the fucking political yeah. sense, but, you know, progressive motion of humanity, because, I, I, you know, when I go to a Sunday markets, for example, like whether it's, you know, here in Austin or whether it's in Costa Rica or whether it's in Australia, whether it's in Europe or whatever, like the, I always look at the Sunday markets as an example of what human beings will do when you just leave them in peace and they do shit between one another. Like the people set up a stall, you go there, you buy their local, like it's fine. You don't need a fucking state to go and like, mandate what people you know must do and you know racketeer and you know take 30 percent of their fucking wealth for no reason like it's just it's mind-boggling so anyway i just i just wanted to put that forward because like the you know people get so stuck in this left right bullshit when at the end of the day they're all flavors of ice cream like you know it might you know vanilla might not be the same as chocolate but at the end of the day it's still ice cream whereas you know what what we tried to put forward in the book is this idea of like moving back to the organic apolitical process of like living in accord with 
some form of natural order that doesn't require politicking and you know how you earlier described it like of you know basically politicking is just a bunch of backstabbing and narratives and stories and attempts to one-up everybody else and basically defy reality like in reality is just hey you build something if i find it of value i'll pay you and we move on so anyway it's a lot of shit there um thoughts well um you know i, I explained this on when i did the interview with i think michaela peterson um i never liked the whole spectrum thingy I mean, everything is a spectrum, but the whole left, right, you know, this, that's from, you know, 18th century France, which we don't live there anymore. Mm -hmm. I think the way I look at it and, you know, I, I steal this from Scott Adams and built up upon it. I like the way he articulates it, but I do it a little differently, which is um, I like the goals of the left. I like the systems of the right. And I like the freedom of the libertarians. So for me, it's a triangle. And depending on the issue, I'm positioned differently on that triangle, dependent upon things that I'm emotionally tied to, right? So there's some issues where I'm extreme libertarian and extreme right. And there's other issues where, you know, I'm quite, you know, liberal on certain issues, certain social issues. That's why my friends in the States, in Canada, say I'm, I'm hard, I'm right wing. And my friends in the United States say I'm a left wing pinko. So I'm somewhere in between, or it just depends on the issues that we're talking about. But for me, my core value is freedom. That's what I care about any, everything. And above all is freedom of the individual to do and say what the individual wants. And uh, I, I kind of look at it that way. That's, that's how it is for me. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, I did, I explained that during the convoy quite a bit. And, you know, these basic principles that you're saying in your government and stuff, is we had people, um, you have to know Canada a little bit, but Canada's always been a divided nation between the, uh, the Quebecois, the French, and the Western Canada, which were settled by Texans. So you mm -hmm. can imagine Texans not getting along well with French, or with French mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. that's Canada. And so both have always been threatening separatism, at least the French were very aggressive with it. The Albertans are now really getting, we're really getting interested in the whole separatist movement separating from Canada. But with this freedom convoy, because we focused just on the core value of freedom and unity and peace and love, that's it. That's what we wanted to focus on. We saw people from Quebec come with Quebec flags and Canadian flags together, which is it's huge. That is unbelievable in Canada. Mm -hmm. to come and walk up Parliament Hill to meet these truckers from Saskatchewan and Alberta. And they started hugging each other and talking about each other's tru trucks. They had signs, you know, the ones from the Western Canada had freedom. The, the French ones had liberté in their signs and they're all getting along to the point that, you know, the next day or two days after we went to the Tim Hortons to, to, Tim Hortons to get a coffee in the morning, of course, Canadian. And there is two guys in line, truckers, they clearly became friends and have known each other because they're pointing, laughing and joking and all that sort of stuff. But they were, the one thing that was different is they were talking through Google Translate because one didn't speak English, one didn't speak French, but they have formed a bond and a friendship. And that you could tell they're trying to learn a little bit of broken uh, French and English. And it was absolutely beautiful and that was the vibe the whole time and i said in 
one of my speeches on Parliament Hill, I said, that's what happens when the media and government gets out of the way. Mm -hmm. People go mm -hmm. back to their natural state, which is to unify on the issues that they're unified on and the things they disagree on, eh, they disagree on and they don't focus on that, right? And that's what happens when they don't have politicians always reminding people what they disagree on and causing mm -hmm. further mm -hmm. division. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that, dude, that point right there about policies is exactly my, my biggest thing is that by and large, I think most people agree on most things. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a series of things that we don't agree on. And, and, and this is where I, you know, I'm, I might, you know, push on this idea of like, um, my most hated slogan in the world is we're all in this together. Like I fucking hate that slogan. <laughs> hate it. I took I've a picture of that it. in Toronto from the Bentley Bugatti dealership. And I'm like, oh, we're on this together. Can I swing by and pick something up? Yeah, 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 please. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, I, I fucking hate it. And, and it, like, one step removed from that, though, is ideas of, like, you know, uh, unity and we, you know, we're all, you know, we're all one and all that sort of stuff. And the reason why I, I think that's a dangerous um, idea is that... I had an epiphany about two weeks ago, you know, when people were talking about like, Hey, you know, um, tribalism is bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't want like-minded people all together because you end up creating an echo chamber. And I thought, interesting. And initially I was like, no, fuck you. Tribalism is great because people should form around the things they, they want. And we're actually better in a world that is diverse uh, in the sense that there's multiple different cultures and multiple different echo chambers that are relatively homogenous internally, but mm -hmm. heterogeneous, you know, externally. But then I kind of dug into it a little bit deeper and I thought, okay, maybe we don't really want a bunch of like-minded people, but what we actually want, and this was the epiphany, is that we want to be grouped with like-valued people, not like-minded. Like we yes. want- Yes, yes, 100%. And I think that distinction, it's, it's very, like, it's a, it seems like a small distinction, but it's very important, particularly to no, me. No, no, like... no. Yeah, 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 for sure. When, and when I say unity, I, I refer to unity on a core value of freedom. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. many of us there would have disagreed on so many things. Like there were, totally. there were hippies that had tie-dye and peace there. I spoke to some really left-wing uh, NDP former school trustees that you joined a conversation with me and some other people and very, you know, we disagree on all sorts of stuff. She clearly was into identity politics a little bit, but she was, but I support you because we need the freedom to talk, mm -hmm. you know? So that, that value of freedom, that becomes the unifying thing. Not that we're unified necessarily as a tribe or whatever, but we're not like in the, can can the case of Canada, we're not uh, disunited for the first time in that this is the Quebec tribe this is the Alberta tribe. It was, no, this is the freedom tribe. And we're allowed mm -hmm. to have as many individual opinions as we want. And we're, we're able to talk with each other like mature adults without getting upset. Or if we get upset, we're just not going to talk about it. We'll just focus on, you know, those, that core value of freedom. Yeah, we'll agree to disagree um, and align around, you know, the because the, I mean, the other thing that's interesting about values, like I did a lot of work with, um, you know, with Tony Robbins and other sort of stuff in, in, in the early days. And, you know, one of the, the heavy emphasis um, was thinking about one's personal values and then kind of ordering them because like we value everything 
to a different degree. Like I value freedom by and large, like it's my number one value. Um, I also, I also value safety, for example, like, you know, I don't, for example, if I'm going to go and ride my motorbike on the racetrack, I'm not going to go dress like this. I'm going to, you know, put a fucking thing on, right? <laughs> no um, flip-flops. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah. well, the funny thing is like, I'll go with flip-flops around the corner and oh, God, fucking, you're one of those, oh my I'm God. one of those idiots. Yeah. Tr- trust me. And I, I, I learned the hard way because I went around the corner to get some gas and I had a fucking accident. <laughs> so, oi, oi. Um, find a bike. Uh, it was an Aprilia little RS125, like oh, an old, nice. um, it, it was, it was when I was, Jesus, how old was I? I was a young punk, 18, 19 year old kid. Um, mm. So like, you know, I, I have this hierarchy of values, but for me, like safety is so low. Now, obviously the older you get, funny enough, safety kind of creeps up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it becomes a little bit more important in, in that values hierarchy. But this is sort of, in my mind, like people congregates the wrong word but people kind of come together around these and like you you find your tribe instinctually almost you 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 know very quickly like who kind of shares similar values and that's sort of what ends up making you uh friends on more than just some like surface level oh yeah we agree on this fact for example like you know it's not just cerebral it's it's um you know it's it's visceral and 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 it seems like, you know, the world has kind of, you know, the pendulum has swung so far away from these. I, I did an article about a year and a half ago where I started writing a series of Bitcoin articles. Basically, I took Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life and I took the essence of each rule um, and I was doing it chapter by chapter. I think I only ever made it to chapter three or four. So I've actually got to go and finish that. But um, chapter two was, uh, you know, now I can't remember what his rule specifically was. But what I extrapolated out of his chapter was this, uh, this idea of uh, Bitcoin chaos and order. And I talked about how Bitcoin is a, is a, in a practical sense, a manifestation of chaos and order. You know, like the, the chain tip is where the chaos and the order of the Bitcoin blockchain actually meet. But mm-hmm. in reality, it also uh, sits at the nexus of uh, chaos and order, like because it is, a, is a, it is a capitalistic manifestation, like its price is at the nexus of chaos and order and all this sort of stuff. But there was a section in there where I talk about matter versus what matters. And the, the point that I made was about 500 years ago when we had the Renaissance, we, or when we, like as if it was a certain moment, you know, as that, you know, period of history kind of evolved, we, we kind of discovered the very useful science of matter, right? Like the empirical study of one plus one equals two, Newtonian physics, etc. right? Like the study of matter. And it was very empirical. And with that, we like technology was able to progress very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, we were like the pendulum was very much within this realm of the study of what matters, which was, you know, philosophy or, you know, economics or politics, et cetera. It's like, you know, it's trying to prioritize. It's interested in values. It's interested in, you know, philosophy and discussion, religion, et cetera. And the pendulum swung so far to the, the study of matters element, which is where we are today what we've tried to do is we've tried to reduce all of these complex studies of what matters. So like philosophy or religion or spirituality, or economics, 
we've tried to reduce it all into fucking equations as if everything is lifeless, empty, empirical physics. And in the process of doing that, we've ripped the very soul out of humanity and we've transformed it into this like sterile equation that, you know, we're all just numbers in a spreadsheet. And if only we did what Klaus Schwab wanted us to do by eating <laughs> bugs and living in a pod, everything would be okay. You know, like we would own nothing and be happy. And it's just wild to me to see, um, to see that. Now I forget what the hell my original fucking point was, but kind of well, just to add something here. in there, I don't know if you have you you know who the uh, YouTuber is, Sargon of Akkad, Carl Benjamin. He's done search this. He's done a um, he did a very good uh, a long video. It's called The Politics of Demolition Man. That movie that when I was a kid, everybody kind of made fun. It's a jokey you know action movie. Not the line and snipes, wasn't it? Yeah, not realizing the deep philosophical message that was in there that's relevant to today. And one of the things that's very evident in Demolition Man in this, you know, dystopian future is they treat science as though it's a religion. Mm -hmm. uh, every decision can be calculated. Every decision can be justified with a study. Remember, studies say. Um, I encourage, if you haven't watched it, The Politics of De Demolition Man, Search that in YouTube. I think you'll find it fascinating, especially if you if you're familiar with the movie. You don't really have to be, but uh, it's a it's a great comment commentary on what's happened to our society today, and I think uh, accurately justifies what you're saying. Like I'm not a terribly spiritual person. Um, I have like I have these group of uh, you know uh, of friends who are dissidents from Iran who escaped here. And I remember Salman said to me, you know, I said, Salman, I'm not spiritual. He's like, it's okay. You don't need it. But most other people do. <laughs> right. And there's truth to that, that yeah. there are some people like one of my very close friends is very, very religious because it gives him something in terms of an underlying structure that he needs. Now, I don't need it. I get it. I get it from other places. But yes. there, the, the fact that society has abandoned it is it's a natural progression that it's going to now take this this new discovery of science during the enlightenment and replace this religion with the enlightenment and that's what's happened to this whole you know progressive movement that's being exploited it's become totally. a new religion totally we've turned science into scientism it's fucking right. ridiculous you can't like the, the the very basis of science is to ask a question and now you can't question exactly. science it's fucking the complete opposite so so that's interesting actually what one thing you mentioned there reminds me of this uh this i this study of uh it's called spiral dynamics have you ever come across like ken wilber's work or um yes just just in passing but yes i know, okay. I know what you're talking about yeah so yeah I, I did a whole podcast on spiral dynamics and you know the, the 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 layers just as a reminder for anyone listening for yourself it's like you know beige is kind of like the survival then you have purple which is the next layer as you sort of evolve into this kind of tribe and like you know shamanistic kind of version and then you go to red which is um the the power god level and that is like you know the you know, let's say uh you know Genghis Khan was a red or Trump might be argued as, you know, kind of the red persona, like, you know, the, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm running the show. Um, and then we kind of evolve, consciousness evolves into blue and blue is like structure and order. And 
what originally filled that void or what, or what originally emerged in blue was the, you know, the values framework of religion. Um, and that's where it was first. And then what's happened is fast forward, you know, 2000 years uh, where we're not actually transcending religion. All we've done is we've replaced, I read this somewhere, we've replaced God with gov, you know, like short for government. Right. Like, and, and it's, you know, government has become the new fucking religion. The new deity is, you know, I mean, in America, at least it's a fucking uh, person who walked out of a nursing home. And, you know, in, in Canada, it's, you know, blackface and fucking New Zealand, it's, uh, you know, the, the donkey and like yeah, all this sort of stuff. So yeah. it's, it's wild. So, um, so yeah, so, so it's really important for people to remember that it's like, you can't just rip that piece out of the evolutionary process. It's actually a building block to each subsequent layer. And when you try and remove it, something else will just fill the void. And most probably the thing that fills the void is something that shouldn't have been there in the first place because it didn't emerge yeah. organically. And, and, and that's and also, kind of where we are. To add to that, I think this is why you saw, you saw a little bit in Canada with Stephen Harper, who was the prime minister before uh, Trudeau was a conservative. Uh, really boring. Uh, I don't mean that in a negative way because politicians should be boring. But an economics guy, you know, what you would think should mm. be prime minister. And then in the United States, I mean, why did the why did people on the far left lose their minds over Trump? Because um, like I know so many people don't like Trump, but they don't really care. They don't pay attention. Yeah, he's annoying. I have a lot of friends who love him, right? Um, but this extreme visceral reaction, well, if you have your you know, your religious institution, where the deity of this religious institution is somebody that you hate uh, mm -hmm. so viscerally, meaning Trump, that complete, that explains the overwhelming extremist reaction. If you're treating government like it's a religion and, you know, the government of the day is being led by a guy who is in their mind, Satan, of course they're going to lose their minds right yeah, and exactly. that's that's what i think that i think that, that contributed a lot to that um you know that um yeah yeah i i think we're 100 percent on board on this and we've had similar journeys interesting interesting okay look we've got 15 20 minutes to go i want to i want to talk a little bit about uh, the truckers and then what's happening now you mentioned honkingforfreedom.com before we we jumped on this but I, I want to maybe, maybe just by way of like introducing this is I mean you know the whole Ukraine Russia shit show all of a sudden like you know in mm -hmm. the minds of everyone like everyone forgot all about the fucking truckers so I'm, I'm curious to sort of get a little bit of the the more inside scoop of like what actually happened what things what wins did we actually get with the freedom convoy um if any um and what what is happening now so prior to the freedom convoy canada was going down the direction of australia and it's mm -hmm. sad to actually say that mm -hmm. but um to the direction of possible quarantine camps because they're nfps that were sent within the government sorry rfps and What's an uh, rfp uh, request for proposal. It's okay, uh, okay, government okay, okay. requesting money within the government mm -hmm, for, mm -hmm. you know, ABC building uh, a camp. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So nice. The summer camp, right? 
Um, so we saw RFPs, we saw governments in the case of the Ontario government just reinstituted uh, strict lockdown again for the third time, fourth time, I lost track. Again, so I was driving back in my truck all the time. So half the time I basically ignored it most of the time. But um, so we had the country was going in that direction. And once the Freedom Convoy got, arrived in Ottawa and stayed in Ottawa and generated international attention, took maybe a week, five days, something like that. But all of a sudden you could see the provincial parties, uh, which is equivalent to our state government for those who are not Canadian, uh, the provincial uh, governments started testing messaging of retracting their COVID policies. And my guess is the polling went very much in our favor because within a week, they all started announcing ends to COVID passports within the province. Like you had to go, you had to have a, a QR code to go to a restaurant or go to a store or whatever. And that was, that was unveiled just leading up to the, the Freedom Convoy. So uh, about a week after, all of a sudden they all started announcing dates that they're gonna end their COVID policies, all of them across the country. Some faster than others, depends which province, which government was in power. And I think the last one was uh, British Columbia and Vancouver is basically California and Canada. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they did it in, I believe the beginning of April, they finally removed it and retract the restrictions. So it was hugely successful in that respect. Unfortunately, the federal government, which is Trudeau, is still holding on it because extremists always double down mm -hmm. on their ideas and their policies, no matter what. They can never deviate from it. Yep. So despite, he, he rather institute, which is what he did, martial law in Canada, than drop this stupid policy. And it's just stupid. It's just stupid and useless. But they can't, they're just unable to see a perspective of the world from other than their own. So it was very, very successful. And, you know, we'll talk about politics a little bit. Uh, I can go on for, for hours how it works and you'll want to throw up. But basically, you know, we also have the opposition party, the conservative party, and not one of their representatives when we needed them, when the police were on the ground and turned aggressive, when the riot police came out, not one of them had a spine to come out and say to the police, Go home. This is a peaceful protest. If they had done that, it would it would have been perfectly teed up for them that Trudeau would have been screwed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because they didn't have the spine to stand up right at that moment, Trudeau is still in power, which was not even our objective. Our objective was just to end the mandates and to end the passport restrictions. So um you know, there was a lot of successful things and there was a lot of, and then one can argue when they brought in martial law, like, I think that's a success. The mm -hmm. emperor has no clothes. Yeah. yeah. The MEPs. He showed his Europe, cards. Yeah. Yeah. They, they all started calling him a dictator yeah. and, and a bigot. Like all the things we've been saying all this time that people, oh, that's hyperbolic. No, it's crazy. No, he doesn't have any communist sympathies. No, he doesn't. Well, now the whole world saw it and he exposed himself and embarrassed himself. And then at the same time, when the Emergency Measures Act, a, aka martial law, was it was passed 
seven days after they announced it. So they had the week to do whatever they want. And then when they, the House finally reconvened and they passed it, they reversed it within 24 hours. Why? Because $1.4 trillion was sucked yeah. out of Canada's sucked economy yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. And Canada's a small economy. Imagine $1.4 trillion was sucked out of Australia. What would happen, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, where I was staying was a, an area outside of uh, Ottawa. I stayed there until March 12th. And that particular area is a lot of elderly people. Well, apparently the banks were being overrun with elderly people who were not even politically engaged, don't really care either way, but they just heard the government is seizing bank accounts. So they went to the bank to try to withdraw everything they have and put it yeah. under their mattress because they remember the depression, right? Yeah. You know, they remember their parents telling them about the depression, what they, what they sort of went through. So it damaged the legacy financial system by orders of magnitude that I think we will realize in the near future. And I know some very high net worth, worth people that, you know, I'm friends with or we're talked to or supporting us who told me, yeah, I'm taking everything out of Canada. That's it. Yeah. I'm just yeah. keeping what I need to function here while I'm still here. And I don't know how long that's going to be for. And I'm moving everything outside. My lawyers are uh, setting up corporations all over the world to move all this money out of here. So is that a success? Yeah, I think so. And then the biggest success that we should all celebrate in the Bitcoin community is Bitcoin worked. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that a government threw everything it could to try to ban, block, whatever they thought they, would, they were gonna do, that is the only money that got through to those truckers that were sitting there for three weeks. It didn't get to all of them, it only got to a small section of them, but th at least they got something for uh, the time that they sacrificed to be, because they're all losing money by the day. Totally. And, you know, some of them were just in tears. You know, they felt like they were losing everything. They didn't know how they were going to make, make their next truck payment. They were behind on the last one. And it's that Bitcoin money that allowed them to, uh, to maintain their business and their truck and uh, continue on with their life. And they're forever grateful to uh, what the Bitcoin community did. So you guys were amazing. It really was. Man, that just was wonderful. Brought chills down my spine. I mean, like it, it just, you, you couldn't write a better script in terms of like the timeline because I mean, you know, this, this reminds me of like when we were on stage the other day, I just, you know, the, the, when someone can just flip a switch and, um, and, you know, dictate what you can and cannot do with your, um, with your money. Like I always say like free speech is actually free action. That's the most important form of speech. Um, you know, the words are cheap. Like, you know, we can say whatever we want, but yeah. really like free action is what matters. And action is uh, manifest through how we distribute the resources that we have and the resources that we distribute as money. So, so it's like, if someone owns the money, we are, incomplete submission to them and i mean we're at a funny interesting stage in human history where like you know physical paper money as shitty as it is still exists and it allows us some form of decentralization but mm -hmm. realistically like we're we're on a high-speed train towards complete digital panopticoin money um mm -hmm. and and unless we have a truly sovereign alternative 
um, we're all up shit creek. Like we just saw what is possible when, you know, your overlord doesn't like what you have to say, just mm-hmm. fucking turn you off and, you know, make you starve or, you know, you, you lose everything. So, so it's just, it's just wild. And, and I don't know, I mean, we've been banging this drum for how many years now? Like, I don't know if you, if you're familiar with Pete Evans down in Australia. Um, he's that celebrity chef that got canceled because yeah. he decided to go paleo first and then support Trump or whatever. But mm-hmm. he and I did like a, I went on his podcast, I think 12 or 13 times, did this whole um, Bitcoin series over the last two years. And everything that I was saying that was going to happen ended up like literally happening with um, with, with Canada and Trudeau. And, and it was funny, Pete sending me messages like, holy fuck, I can't believe they're actually turning off the bank accounts. And I was like, I fucking told you, like, you know, you, you, we, we are feeding our jailers by using the legacy financial system. We are feeding our jailers by using the money that they issue us. And the only way to break those chains is to simply opt out, which is again, a, just an Ayn Randian idea is like, we, you know, Bitcoin is our gold gulch. And, you know, once we sort of step away from it, they depend on us holding them up. Like, you know, you and I who actually do the work and produce some value are the only reason that they can extract value from us. Like if we kind of opt out of that and move it out of their thing, they're fucked. They're screwed. They've got nothing. They can't, they couldn't, they couldn't fight their way out of a fucking paper bag, man. Like, and you know, they, they sort of subsist on the, on the basis of, um, of our productive input. So like, you know, us stopping being productive is not viable because we all need to eat and do something. So we may as well just take the product of that labor and move it into uh, a unit that they can't fuck with. And, and that's why I just, for me, more than anything else, that's the importance of Bitcoin. And, and that's where I kind of go on these rampages where I hate all the crypto shit because it's such fucking noise. Like, and and it's a it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's a way to, you know, etch people towards um, you know, digit digital panopticoins. So yeah, I'm like, I am so fucking as much as I hate that the trucker convoy convoy was necessary and as much as i hate that the last couple of years of stupidity um occurred mm-hmm. in many ways like maybe this is the price humanity has to pay to move off a clown world standard and move on to like a a sovereign individual standard i don't know yeah um i think i think you're right about that and unfortunately you know, like any, like many things, it gets worse before it gets better. Totally, yeah. And I didn't like to be one of the people made an example of. Mm-hmm. But when I was going through it, I actually didn't mind all that much. And I was a little bit more secure than most people. Um, I was trying to think why I was so calm. Like my friend I was with, she was like, mm-hmm. how are you so calm? How are you so calm? I'm like, relax. It'll work. Because I was doing that for the three weeks of the convoy when everyone's yeah. freaking out. I'm like chill, chill. Everything always works out. We'll get through it. Don't worry, you know? And I think in retrospect, the reason I was maybe more uh, secure and more calm is because I knew in the back of my head, hey, I have Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. If I really need to go to an AT- to need money, I can go to a Bitcoin ATM. I can always transact over Lightning with businesses that have it, right? I think that was in the, and it, it came clear to me when I went to Columbia just before the um uh, our event and at bitcoin miami and i saw bitcoin everywhere and everybody's Mm -hmm. using it there it's becoming you know very very common place i'm like yeah of course 
why would I have been freaking out there? Because I've opted out and already moved into the the legacies. Like I've, I'm, look, I'm not a hard, I'm not a Bitcoin expert, not a programmer, none of that stuff, but I got into it in 2015 is when I was researching it. I think I first bought, if I remember correctly, in 16. And I don't even remember what the price was because I just kind of bought it out of interest. It's cool. It's interesting. Was learning about it, parked mm-hmm. it away. Didn't really care about the price. It's just, it's another system sort of thing. And that's why I keep telling people who are new to Bitcoin, it's not the price, it's the freedom. That's yes. what matters. And, uh, you know, I do this show with, with Mark Petroni. I go on his radio show where I've orange pilled him and I'm helping to orange pill his audience, which is a much older demographic than you or I. And Mark is, he's been a, a journalist for 30 years. So he's still used to, what's, what's the market today? He's still at that stage yeah. early. Yeah. He's like, what's the price today? What's the price today? And I'm like, Mark, forget about, what's your time horizon? He's totally. like, it's going down. What's your time horizon, Mark? And we always have that back and forth. He says it's, it's just difficult for him to, to kick the habit. He will eventually. I'm sure you were like that too. We all we all were at some point. And the other natural journey is you buy, like I have a bunch of shit coins. I have no idea what they are. They're in a wallet somewhere. They're secured away because what happens? You get in the Bitcoin and then unit bias pops in and you hear all this stuff. And you're like, okay, I'm going to buy some of this other crypto and it's going to go up, you know, and become worth millions. And then you're like, wait, this is just a sham and centralized nonsense. And I'm going to go back to Bitcoin. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Peter McCormick discussed that on uh, what Bitcoin did, that this is a natural journey for everybody. I went through that journey too. And I'm trying to tell people, forget all the other stuff. Just, you, you, you don't understand Bitcoin. Just yeah. spend a year learning about Bitcoin and understanding Bitcoin. Ignore everything else. It's just noise. It's going to conf- confuse you. Um, and for all the reasons we know why Bitcoin is important, I think I've been able to convince like those guys from the National Telegraph, that, that newspaper that came down to report on me. I started asking, what about all? The-? I'm like, stop with the other stuff. Forget about it. This is why. And it's OK. OK, yeah, I'll, you're right. I, we, we need to learn about Bitcoin and just focus on that. Um, so I do I just spend a lot of yeah. my time doing that. But it's the important. way. The way I generally tell people is I say, we, we all have to climb Mount Stupid at some point. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. The, the, the key is not <laughs> exactly. staying up there, right? <laughs> like, yeah, and listen, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm not, it's not, I'm not proud of it, but whatever. You, I didn't know. Nobody knew, right? Yeah, yeah. So. We, we, you know, we, we all have to take that journey. The, the, the thing is, as you said, it's you have to put in the time in it. And this is sometimes what frustrates me is like people want to learn everything about Bitcoin and like t- tell it to me in one tweet. Yeah, you know, exactly. T- tell it exactly. to me in one sentence. Oh, totally. It's like, fucking hell, man. I've been like balls deep in this, like spent 100,000 hours over the last five years figuring it out and I'm still hungry. And you want me to tell it to you in one sentence? Like it doesn't work like that. I told um, somebody it's like going to the gym, but you're exercising the financial side of your brain. Totally. You're going to start with Bitcoin. You're going to go down the rabbit hole into monetary policy. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, you're going to be spending two hours every other day on the treadmill watching George Gammon learning mm-hmm. about macroeconomics and stuff like it's just gonna and then you're gonna come back to bitcoin how does this all fit in and stuff um but it it really is an exercise for the financial part of your brain and some other people who've gone into it have told me that's a good analogy that worked for them 
Yeah, that, but, you know, I, I guess once you exhaust that piece, then it starts to become, and, and this is where like people like Gigi and everything have like really inspired me and, um, you know, breed love and everything. Like it starts to exercise every part of your brain, like the philosophy, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of big on the anthropological element and like, you've got all these sorts of, um, I mean, physics, fucking space, tra- like all of these things that seem to touch Bitcoin in some way, shape or form, like, you know, the, the temporal nature of Bitcoin, like, you know, what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is time. Like, you know, then you go down that rabbit hole. It's like, it's yeah. fucking wild. Like it's, it's the, it's the never ending multidimensional rabbit hole that you'll, you'll be able to, you know, be enthralled with forever. Like it's, it's going to be impossible to sort of reach the end of that. Um, last thing, honking for freedom. Talk me through that. What are we doing? So uh, a number of people have reached out to me over the last, over through the convoy, especially after the convoy, when all the money was frozen. Um, we still have a couple of uh, people affiliate. I think there's a couple of truckers still in jail. I'm trying to get clarification from the lawyers. Okay. There are some people who are all hangers on who I'm not really a fan of, but they also don't deserve to be in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, all the money that people had donated is now in the hands of an escrow agent and lawyers who are likely going to litigate it away and gives and go also returned uh, $9 million. As far as these people who've reached out to me, the fight is still not, is not over. It's just beginning. Totally. Um, we still have mandates. We still have the passport app. Um, and we have many causes to file defamation suits and teach the mainstream, the legacy media, a lesson that you're not going to get away with treating people that way. You're not going to get away with tre- treating good, average, hardworking people like insects and like dirt, which is what they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as well, there's cause many people who need uh, funds for all their, their parking tickets, uh, some of the uh, impoundment tickets. I spoke to a guy yesterday who just got his truck back that it was impounded all this time. I spoke to his friend and I said to him, you know, find out what the bill is. Like, I, I need to know, you know, to tally up. So we have uh, a cause for, we want to focus on legal defense, legal offense, and third-party activism mm-hmm. for uh, man, any mandates and any passports. And there's a convoy right now occurring in British Columbia that there, there's still many convoys all over Canada that are doing uh, daily protests and um, there's an opportunity to support them. So what, what they're doing is they're forming a board. One of the people who's going to be on the board who's reached out to me is Jeffrey Wernick. Uh, Jeffrey is an early Bitcoiner, started mining in 2009. Uh, he's been involved. I think he was the CMO of Parler. I believe he's involved in uh, Rumble and a lot of other things that you've seen. He's a behind the scenes guy, not a social media guy, but highly, highly credible. And in the time I've been speaking with him, he's taught me a lot. So he's going to be on the board along with a few other people, a small board, and then a board of advisors that we'll reach out to. And I can tell you based on what we've known each other, you know, for this little bit of, you know, over the past few weeks trying to organize for this conference uh, that you might be asked to uh, consider if you'd be joining the advisory board. And in this case, instead of, because now everybody has learned that you cannot crowdfund with fiat money. You just literally, yeah. It's (laughs) not your money. So wouldn't it be great 
if the trucker fundraiser uh, for the trucker legal fund honking for freedom became the largest um, crowdfunding donation cause whatever you want to call call it in internet history and it was only done with bitcoin amazing so Fucking that's amazing where, that's where it's trying to go so there's gonna be more on that soon there will be an official launch hopefully within the week Mm -hmm. um, there's a node set up. Everything is outside of North America. The board is going to be set up, set up outside of North America. And I have some meetings. They're going to tell me what's happening. I'm, I'm following the direction of people who are smarter than me, right? Mm -hmm. I, I like to be surrounded by people who are far more smart than I am. And, uh, but there is a lot of appetite from across the, um, across the spectrum. Like it's amazing to see so much love and support coming from people who are extremely wealthy, um, you know, sort of the, the VIP people in the financial sector and working class truckers and blue collar people all on the same team. Like, it, and about this one fundamental value of freedom. It is amazing. So we're going to try to continue that and utilize Bitcoin to do so. I love it. I absolutely fucking love it. I um, awesome. you, I think you mentioned uh, beforehand it's going to be done uh, with Tallycoin, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Those, um, those boys built something brilliant there, man. That's yeah. No, and DJ was has been great. He had, you know, reached out and was working with the team, and he's, uh, you know, I think he's appreciative that everybody has been supporting his uh, his platform, and mm -hmm. it's been a godsend. If it weren't yeah. for DJ, and Tallycoin. And a lot of the people behind the scenes that were, were running that fundraiser, uh, those truckers wouldn't have got any money. And I got to tell you, man, you see those videos of guys breaking it down in tears. Uh, it sticks with you. It really does. <sighs> man, what, what, a, what a time to be alive, man. Like, it's funny. I, th I think we'll, we'll close on this, but, you know, pe people sort of ask me, they're like, you know, how long do you think this is going to take, blah, 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 till, you know, we kind of get past clown world. And, and, and I always say, like, I don't know. I, I feel like this decade is going to be tough. And I feel like we're probably still at the early innings, kind of like mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier. I think things are going to get tougher before they get better. And, you know, as much as that sucks, the, you know, the, the privilege of being surrounded by people like you and, you know, Francis and Giacomo and all that sort of stuff is like, we kind of drew the short straw in the sense that we need to endure a clown world um, yeah. because we're going to see the greatest stupidities human history has ever seen. Yeah. Um, but we'll also simultaneously get to be the founding fathers upon which, you know, a, a functional society is built. And, and I think that's very special. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I haven't thought about that. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it really is, man. Because like you look back at like, you know, the, the founding of, you know, of America or of, or of any other fucking great society. It's like, you know, that those early founding fathers, they, they had to go through fucking hell, but they had the fortitude to, to endure that. And mm -hmm. that is, I think the, um, whether we like it or not, that's kind of the, the, the straw that we drew. Like it is the, it is the, the thing that we've been given. It's the cross that we must bear uh, for, you know, for this chapter of human civilization. And, um, and I, I just think it's going to be one of the most significant on a, on a, on a, on a long, on a long enough time horizon. So, you know, it, it's, 
it's genuinely an honor to like to do this and to be on this journey alongside people like yourself with such strong values man so just want to say thank you for everything no you've done. likewise brother like uh i i echo everything you say and you know, it's funny when i was in I was in the hotel somebody um I had a bunch of people also coming to me for interviews and somebody said to me, you know, what is it? I think this is the guy in the documentary because there's also a documentary being made. I don't know if it was him or somebody else, but one of them said, how does it feel to be part of such a significant part of history? <laughs> what are you talking about? I have like 20 fires to put out right now. Uh, I, I don't have time for history, but uh, I, I great, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But, um, you know, in retrospect, you always kind of sit back and look at it and think like, yeah, man, you know, maybe Scott Adams is right. It's just a simulation or uh, we're just lucky that uh, we have the honor to be able to try to have an impa impact to change the world. Because how many people, you know, suffered under the financial regimes that we live under? for generations mm -hmm. would have loved to have a tool that they could use to help push forward change, but it was never there. Totally. And we're lucky enough to be there right in the perfect time where this amazing thing called Bitcoin, which is so, I call it more significant than the invention of the printing press, totally. is here for us to help push forward for everybody to help discover freedom. Like that is, we are so lucky to be alive today. We really are, man. We really are. Okay. Final thing then, people can find you, I assume, on Twitter at BJ Dictor, D I C H T E R. Yep. Where else can they um, follow, support, find your work? Twitter, Getter. Uh, I'm on Minds, although I'm not sure how many people are using it. Parlor, but I think I'm going to delete that because it's a ghost town. It's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, right now, Twitter is the best. I'm a little bit hopeful of the future of Twitter that free speech will eventually come to the platform. And um, send me a DM. My DMs are open. I'm open to everybody. I still have thousands that I'm slowly getting through over the past couple of months doing the thank yous, appreciate it. Yeah. And just trying to talk to people, get a sense of who they are. And uh, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm, I'm very available for absolutely anybody. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, and and if you're in Bitcoin Miami tomorrow, April uh, 14th, I'm sorry to stale date it, but I just want to put this out there. Uh, I will be in Bitcoin Miami uh, saying a few words to the people in the community here and talking about you know, Freedom Convoy, questions that they have, and just, you know, hanging around, discussing Bitcoin and how to get uh, more regular people on board and accepting of Bitcoin. For sure. And what was the um, the podcast project that you're working on? Um, I forgot the name of it now. That's on your email signature. There's a, the website is possiblycorrect.com. There we go. Okay. Uh, there's also a newspaper that I'm, I, I say you might call a consultant of, but involved in called the nationaltelegraph.com. Those are the guys who came down to report on me in Bitcoin Miami. And uh, yeah, possiblycorrect.com is the podcast network. Excellent. All right. I've popped that in the show notes. So, all right, Benjamin, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. This was a really, really good conversation. No, I, um, this was awesome, man. I, I can't believe how much we are aligned on so many things, although I shouldn't be surprised. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, buddy. Thank you. Cool, bud. Thanks, man.